how are we going to make it all the way to the end of the, the race, the end of the road? The end of the race that God has put before us, how are we going to make it all the way to the end? We say, well, why, why do you ask such a question? Well, look around, look around the world tonight. We've got someone in North Korea launching missiles high into the sky. We've got an environment here in the United States politically that is, is about as, as bad as it gets in terms of the relationships and the things going on in Washington and across the 50 states. We've got uh, people in various spheres of life being accused of sexual harassment and sexual misdeeds all the way across the, the book. We've got the very foundations of our Judeo-Christian culture uh, being dismantled right before our eyes. And the question I asked is, how are we going to make it to the end? Well, we're going to stand fast in the Lord. Amen. Tonight, we're going to see that standing fast in the Lord is the key to making it through the end and making it through whatever may happen on the face of the earth. Whatever is happening, wherever you are, whatever your geography, you must stand fast in the Lord to continue on and on in Christ. And that's what we're learning in this epistle of Paul's to the Philippians, to stand fast in the Lord, to, to be in him, to, to be joined together with the body of believers. And tonight, we're going to look at seven verses in chapter four, and the apostle Paul gives us some instruction on how we can stand fast in the Lord. And so we're going to look at three points tonight, if you're taking notes, if you've got your, your note sheet we can stand fast in the Lord, first, by being united together. Secondly, by being joyful. And thirdly, by being in prayer. If we'll follow these steps to standing fast, we will endure to the end. We will overcome whatever may happen through our lifetimes. And we'll receive all the benefits of, the, of Jesus' promises to those who would overcome, both here on this side of eternity and on into eternity. Amen? So we're going to take a look at this. The first point is, how are we going to stand fast in the Lord? How are you going to stand fast in the Lord? Being united together with the body of Christ. Let's take a look at it in verse 1 of Philippians 4. Paul said this, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brothers, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved, I implore Eudia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. If we're going to stand fast in the Lord, then we've got to be united together in the body, in the body of Christ. We have to be a true fellowship. And what a true fellowship, what is a church? A church, there's one church really, right? Okay, so let's get this straight. There's one church and we have like all these fellowships, all these, I call them local outposts of the body because there's only one body, amen? There's one body of Christ. He's not this guy that has multiple bodies. He's not, you know, whatever. No, he's got one body, he's the head and he's got one body and it's called the church. 
And so when you come into a town and there are different fellowships, those are different parts of the body. They're outposts of the body of Christ, of the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. And what we're called to be as a fellowship, we're called to be a true fellowship. We, 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 and, and in order to be a true fellowship, we've got to be in fellowship. And if you're a believer, you've got to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. One of the things that we need to have if we're going to be in true fellowship is we need to have as evidence of that in our lives is that we have the love of Jesus. Amen. We've got to truly love each other. It, it can't, I don't know if you've ever been to a church or been around a group of people that call themselves a church, and it just doesn't seem like they love each other. <laughs> you know, and it's like, why are these people getting together? What is this about? Is this, is this about some other, it's, somehow I'm missing something here, because last time I checked, the body of Christ was supposed to be about the love of Jesus, amen? This gospel thing called the love of Christ and how he came down and gave his life for, for each and every person. So we've got to have the love of Jesus in our lives and love for each other. Paul calls this fellowship in Philippi, the Philippian church, he calls it his beloved. He says, beloved. You know, and I think that's the same idea that we have. I think Paul's modeling something for us. When you think of the church, do you think of, oh, my beloved, you know, my beloved people? Those are my people, right? You're my people. <laughs> Those aren't my people, but you're my people, amen? You know, and, and, and hopefully when you look around, when you come together with the body of Christ, you look and you say, hey, those are my people. Those are my beloved. And I think Paul is, is kind of modeling for that for us. Paul loved this church. He loved the Philippians. He called them brothers. He says, my beloved, my longed for brothers. Whenever I read in the New King James and it says brethren, I just change it to brothers because no one says brethren anymore, but brothers, right? Amen. So, so brothers, he calls them brothers. He told them that they were his joy. Just thinking about them brought him joy. Why? Because even though he was in prison, he knew that he would be with them in heaven. And he had just told them in their last section that we looked at, he told them that their citizenship was in heaven. And so Paul looked at this and he said, these are, these, you're my joy, you're my long for brethren, you're my beloved, you're, I, I love you people. I love you people. Do, do you have that same heart? when you look at the, the, the brothers and sisters in the church. Paul calls this fellowship in Philippi his crown. He says, my crown. The idea of crown here is the victor's crown, the victor's wreath. In, you know, in the ancient games, right? The winner would get a wreath. And they called it a crown. Um, and these people were to him what the victor's wreath was to the winner of a race. They were his crown, his prize, and joy. Again, is this how we think of each other in the church? Are the people on your right and left your joy? Your joy? Look around. And don't answer the question if it's no. <laughs> Just keep it to yourself. Do we realize that we're brothers and sisters in Christ? We're on the same team. We're in the same family. 
And that this is what it's all about, the fellowship of believers. I mean, this is what it's all about, God. What is it that God's doing in the world? What's the whole world about? God is gathering to himself a people to call them into his family forever and ever and ever. It's called the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to be, we're a part of it. I mean, this is, this is the whole deal, and we've got we've to realize that. Now, I think we, we worry far too much about far too much. <laughs> and we analyze ourselves to death. We scrutinize our situations. We look at everything and just get ourselves into kind of all kind of contortions inside mentally and physically and emotionally and all everything else, right? But we've got to realize is that we're part of the grand purpose of the universe, the family of God, the kingdom of heaven. Amen? And so when we look at our brothers and sisters, we've got to be able to, I think, we've got, we need to be able to echo what Paul says here. Beloved, my joy, my crown, all these things. So Paul encouraged these believers whom he loved to stand fast in the Lord. He says, I love you guys. You're my joy, my crown. But I want to encourage you. Stand fast in the Lord. Paul would say to us, stand fast in the Lord. Just in the last section, he talked about those who were the enemies of the cross, right? And in the opening, I alluded to the situations that are here locally, nationally, and internationally. And you could say that each one of those scenarios are a direct result of people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so really, in that sense, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. There's still enemies of the cross. There's still people that want to stir up all kinds of things, wars and contentions and, 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 and everything else. And Paul would come along to us if he were here, if he just kind of, you know, maybe he had a DeLorean or something and he, you know, well, he wouldn't need a DeLorean. He'd need, he'd need something else. Whatever you would need to come from like, you know, eternity back into, back into this realm. And, um, and, uh, so if he were to be here tonight, he would say, hey, stand fast in the Lord no matter what's going on. Other times, Paul told churches to stand firm, to stand fast. He told the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and this was in the close of that letter to the Corinthians, he said this, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. That's a great verse. In fact, I had, you know, I, I was presented a, one of those Christian kind of pictures, plaques with a verse on it and everything once, and that was the verse in this, in this, you know, in this thing. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. So we've got we've to do that. We've got to stand fast in the, in the Lord. Now, one of the ways we can do that is being unified together. And so Paul goes on to encourage two women in the church to get along. He says to them, Judea, and I don't know how to pronounce it, Syntyche, okay? And, um, and so for whatever reason, they weren't getting along. We're not told of the reason that there's this, this strife amongst them. 
Um, they weren't seeing eye to eye. Uh, one commentator put it this way. He said, uh, two women, Judea and Synentiki, did not live up to the meanings of their names. Judea means a prosperous journey. Synentiki means a pleasant acquaintance. Since Paul pleaded with these two to agree with each other in the Lord, it seems that they were causing dissension in the assembly. And so Paul is stepping in here. He had already earlier talked about having unity, being of the same mind of Christ, having the, the mind of Christ, the, the, the same mind that was in Christ as he humbled himself and came into the world and put on human flesh. He's already told us to, to have that same mind and to come into that same unification of, of purpose and thought. And so here in the close, he's actually kind of naming names. And this, you know, Paul wasn't afraid to name names. You know, I mean, I, I actually like this about Paul. You know, Paul named names. He, he, he called them out like a father, you know, like a father figure, or an older brother, maybe. Hey, Judea, Sinintiki, you know, let's, can we bring it together, you know? Now, one commentator went, he said, you know, the, Paul doesn't say, okay, well, have somebody step in and oversee the situation and find out, like, you know, both sides of the story and whatever. He says, you know, no, no, let's just, let's just come together. Let's just be unified. Let's just put, let's put this squabbling or whatever this is because, you know, the Lord's coming back and, and there's, there's tough times all around. There's people that are, that are enemies of the cross. And, and so we, we've got to be unified together. Paul was asking them to have the attitude of the mind of Christ, the, uh, of a true servant of God, right? Paul then addresses this one called true companion. He says, my true companion. Look at that verse, uh, verse three. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. This word true companion, in the Greek, it is yoke fellow. This is the word in the Greek. True companion, yoke fellow. We don't know who this yoke fellow was, but we do know that he was loyal to Paul in his ministry. And so Paul, you know, calls upon him as, as kind of that one that was loyal to him and, and perhaps a, not only a fellow worker or a yoke fellow, but, a, but someone that could be looked up to, a leader in that sense. And so Paul asked him to straighten things out between these two women. In the, in the church, if you go back to the founding of the church of Philippi, remember, okay, it's interesting that in the closing chapter here that Paul is saying to these two women, hey, we got to bring it together. We got to bring it together. Because what's interesting in the founding of the church, if you remember from the book of Acts, in the founding of Philippi, the church, not the city, but the church in Philippi, it was founded out of a women's group, the women's fellowship. Remember, there was no synagogue in Philippi. You had to have 10 believing male Jewish men to have a synagogue. And so evidently, I guess they didn't have a synagogue. So the women who feared the Lord met out by the river. And one of them was Lydia. And Paul came along into Philippi and he found this group of women. And that was the, the birth of the church in Philippi. And so this 
church really had a foundation. If anybody ever says the New Testament does not elevate uh, the, 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 you know, womanhood and the, and, 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 and the woman. It just has not read the, the Bible at all. It just has not looked into it, has not read the New Testament. The first eyewitness of the resurrection is a woman. The Church of Philippi was founded by a group of women. Um, I mean, it's, it's an incredible thing to see how even in this first century uh, context uh, that you know, the, the, the role of women being elevated in that sense. So Paul is, is just encouraging uh, the ladies, you know, to kind of bring it together and, and, and to kind of move beyond, uh, you know, the differences. Uh, you know, this idea of being a, a, a co-laborer or a, a yoke fellow in that sense um, is this idea of working together, striving together. Um, the NIV uses the word contend, striving together, contending together against the true enemy for the sake of the gospel. And so you had people contending with Paul for the gospel, for the establishment and work of the church there in Philippi. And this is what Paul wants us to realize. We've, we've got to have a servant's heart and work side by side for the sake of the gospel. And if we ever lose sight of that, if we ever lose that in our mentality, we've got we've to get straight. <laughs> we've got to have a rebuke. We've got to have somebody step in and say, nah, yeah, let's get it together. Because we've lost sight of what the whole thing is about. And let's face it, there are Things happening even within the realm of the church where you look sometimes and go, wait a second, what does this have to do with church? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so we, we, we need that. We need that, that kind of understanding that God's called us to work together. Now, I'm encouraged when I look at, when I look at South Coast, little, little, little South Coast, you know, we're like the church of... Uh, of Smyrna, <laughs> Revelation, you know, you have a little strength. <laughs> but I'm encouraged because I see you coming together and wanting to work uh, for the sake of the gospel, to see, to see God accomplish something. I'm, I'm encouraged when I see, you know, uh, you guys showing up and, and you know, weeding the, the flower beds and painting and doing things, setting up chairs you know, pouring out, you know, yeah, trail mix, indulgent trail mix and for everybody. I mean, this is encouraging. This is encouraging. What does concern me is when I look around and I see Christians who apparently don't want to do anything for the gospel. And you look and you say, no, wait a second, has the gospel... The message of the gospel, maybe you don't understand what the message of the gospel is because the, the gospel message is not a non-revolutionizing agent, agency. <laughs> I mean, if, you're, if your life is not revolutionized by the gospel, somehow you got a different gospel, you got the wrong thing, okay? Because the gospel of Jesus Christ is something when, he, when it comes into your life and Jesus begins to do a work, the one that he began in you and, and, and is going to content, continue in and bring it all the way to completion, yeah, that work, that thing is a revolutionizing thing that completely transforms and changes your life. And so if it isn't, I think I, I wonder, I wonder, We've all, we've all got some place where we can fit in and be unified together and, and be, be a, a yoke fellow, 
uh, together. And, 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 and so we, we need to continue to do that. So I want to encourage us. I want to commend us. And I want to encourage us to continue on that, that same path. Amen? Amen. So, you know, some people say, well, I don't, I don't have time to, to do stuff. You know? Now, some people legitimately don't have time. And other people, it's just an excuse. Because I look at people, I look at, there's certain people that I look at in my life, and I go, wow, how do they do all that? How do they do all that? Well, one of the things how they do all that is they don't have a lot of time wasters in their life. They don't have a lot of nonsense type things in their life. And, and, and you know, what we've got to do is we've got to find joy in working together and working for the sake of the gospel. And when, when that becomes such a joy, then some of this other stuff that's just time filler, time filler, time filler. Oh, well, I'm busy. Well, well, well what are you doing? It's amazing how much we can do. We get rid of some of the, the, the it's that time filler type stuff. Jesus wants us to contend with him in the gospel. And if we will be unified and work together in the gospel, we will stand fast in the Lord. Um, there's, a, there's another point that, you, that could be made. Those that kind of contend with each other in the fellowship are, are, there, are right there when, when, when they fall to be picked up. If you're not if you're if if you're not contending with the team, like you know, if you if you if we all played football, right, and 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 one of us fell down, and we're you know, it's a it's one of those you know, I want to put in your mind this muddy game. It's raining, the field is mud, and you know, and everything, and, and you fall. Well, we're out on the field. Well, we got to help you. We got to either help you get up to your feet, and so we can do the next player. We got to get you over to the sideline and get you some attention or whatever. And so the people who were in the game, in the fellowship, are, are, are you know, so if you want to have that fellowship in your life where you have that when when things go down and things happen in your life you've got that fellowship around you to be there to support you so that you will stand fast in the lord it's the people that kind of reject fellowship in the in the church and then when everything hits the fan they've got no spiritual leadership in their house They've got, no, they've got no pastoral leadership. They've got no counsel. They've got nowhere to turn. And they look around and go, what's going on? And it's the people who are in the game. It's the people who are content yoke fellows together. Amen? Amen? I think we got it. Let's move on to the next point. So be united together. Secondly tonight, be joyful. We're going to stand fast in the Lord by secondly being joyful. Let's look at it. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be joyful. You're going to stand fast in the Lord. You're going to be joyful. We must be joyful. We must be full of the joy of the Lord. The Apostle Paul here encourages all Christians to rejoice in the Lord. The idea of rejoice is to be full of joy. To rejoice is to be full of joy. The joy that Paul encourages throughout this letter is joy in the Lord. There are so many reasons when you look at, your, when you look at this world, and some of them I, I highlighted at the beginning of the thing, the beginning of the message, there are so many reasons to be 
not joyful. <laughs> There's so many reasons to be unhappy, unfulfilled, disappointed, let down, hurt. You, you, you continue on with the list. So many reasons that that is the description. There's one place that you can always find joy, and that's the Lord. Amen? There's one place that you can always find joy, and that's the Lord. And no matter what's going on in your life, you go straight to the Lord. You go straight to the Lord, and you look at I was caught by that lyric in the song that we sang tonight. I look to your throne. Right? And that, I don't know why that struck me tonight. I mean, because we, we used to sing that song all the time. But, I, but tonight I looked at that, and I said, I look to your throne. To, to, to look to the throne of Christ... You, you know, is a, is a conscientious thing. And so no matter what's going on in your life, if you look to the Lord, if you look to the throne, you're, you're going to be encouraged. You're, you're going to have the person of the Lord looking you face to face. And, and, and you can't, you know, you can't not be um, affected by the person of Christ. And, and, and he has this joy that he wants to put into your life. And so we've got to remember um, and one of the things when you're going through the book of Philippians to always remember is that he's writing this entire letter in a prison cell in Rome. He's literally in jail. And, the, and, 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 and these ancient jails, these ancient Roman jails of the worst kind. You know, I mean, you, you couldn't even stand fully like as a man. They were, they, were, they were not even where you could actually like, you know, stand up and fully stretch out. And... You don't even want to get into the other details of, 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 that, of that situation and, the, and, the, and the, you know, just the, the rats and the human waste and, the, and all of the situations that they would have to, have to have dealt with. And Paul is saying to us, he's saying to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Joy is something that every Christian needs. Every person needs joy, especially in these days that we've described. Um, and the, the, the days that we live in are described in the New Testament as the last days. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard, heard this explained, but if someone asks or tells you that, or, that these are the last days, and you say, well, how do you know that they're the last days? You need only turn to the second chapter of Acts and look at Peter's sermon and see how he connects what happened in chapter 2 of Acts when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those believers in Jerusalem, and he says that this is a prophecy that would happen in the last days. And so if it was the last days 2,000 years ago on the day that Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost to address that crowd, it's the last days today. We're just 2,000 years closer to, to the fulfillment of everything that God's going to do. And so we need the joy of the Lord. In these last days, we need the joy of the Lord. The, in the last days, the prophecy in Joel 2 was this, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So if you're a believer here tonight, the Lord is pour, has poured out his spirit into you. He's pouring out his spirit. His desire is to pour his spirit out on all flesh. And so if you're a believer, you're a person who has opened up your life to the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit has been literally put on deposit 
And Paul said it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, we've been sealed, right, with the Holy Spirit. We were just in um, Fort Worth, and we went out to the Fort Worth stockyards. And, and if you've ever been there, it's this kind of whole Kind of whole, you know, I don't know, rodeo type thing, you know. I mean, it's, it's you know, you've got these longhorn things, you know, these, 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 these cows, these bulls. I don't know what they are. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just a city slicker. When I get out there, I know, you know, I'm a city slicker when I get out there, right? But I, but, I, but my sister has is 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 11 years a Texan now, and she was telling me and showing us about see how they're branded. You know, they've got the brand on the back, the back hide, the back quarter panel of the, of the, of the, of the uh, you know, right? And I turned to her and I said, you know what? We're branded too. We're, just like these cows are branded, we're branded because the Holy Spirit has been put as a seal on deposit in our heart. And if the Holy Spirit has been put into our lives and into our very hearts, then the fruit of the Spirit is then naturally going to come out of that. Amen? And if the fruit of the Holy Spirit is going to naturally come out of that which has been put in us and put on deposit in us, then the first thing of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, look no further than Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. And after love has begun to work its full effect, the love of Christ, the agape of God, has begun to work its full effect in our lives, What's the next one? Joy. Love, joy. Yeah, we're talking about joy tonight, right? Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And so if you're a Christian, then you got to have somewhere, there's got to be some semblance of the agape of God and the joy of the Lord in your life. And, and you've got to just let that begin to flow. You've you got to let that flow in you and out of you on a regular basis. And, and so you've got the love of God coming into your life, flowing out. You've got the joy of the Lord coming in and flowing out. And so, wow, joy is so important to living the Christian life. Whatever happens in our lives, we have the joy of the Lord. Just some things about joy. Tonight, Principal Rainey, of whom a child once remarked that she believed he went to heaven every night because he was so happy every day, once used a fine metaphor about a Christian's joy. Joy, he said, is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. And those words were turned into, we used to sing that in, in kids' church. When I grew up, that was, that was one of the main songs. Joy is the, you know, you know I, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna attempt it here, but, but many of you know the song. The joy of the Lord is the flag flown in the, in the castle of our hearts when the, when, the, when the king is in residence there. Just a couple passages from the Old Testament, Psalm 3211. You can write these down and look them up later. Psalm 3211. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. A lot there. We could pre pre preach whole sermons on each one of these verses. Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. Look to the throne. Why? Because in his presence is fullness of joy. George Mueller would not preach until his heart was happy in the grace of God. Ian Rubick 
would not write while his feelings were low, but would retire to a quiet place and wait on God till he felt the spirit of inspiration. It is well known that the elevated spirits of a group of Moravians convinced John Wesley of the reality of the gospel and helped to bring him a short time later to a state of true conversion to Christ. John Wesley. A.W. Tozer. The Christian owes it to the world to be supernaturally joyful. I would add to the, I would add, let me add something to Tozer. <laughs> can I add, can I, can, can, can little old Charles Nestor II, in, you know, on Croton Road over here in Melbourne, Florida, can I add something to, to, to A.W. Tozer? I think the Christian owes it to himself. The, you owe it, Christian, you owe it to yourself to be full of the joy of the Lord and you owe it to the world because if we're truly the people of God and we've got the love of God, the spirit of God on deposit in our hearts, then we should have the love of God and the joy of God flowing out of us and we owe it to the world to be the most joyful people that anybody's ever come in contact with, amen? And, 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 and so let me tell you, you know, I'm not saying that there's nothing ever to be moped around about, but if, if the disposition of our lives is, you know, kind of woe is me and blah, 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 and everything's bad and blah, 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 look to the throne, Christian. Look, let him be the glory and lifter of your head. To have him come up to you and pull the bottom of your chin up and look to the throne and be filled with the spirit and the love of God and the joy of the Lord and let it begin to flow out of your life. You want to talk about... Amen? Yeah, put this on YouTube. You want to talk about the joy division. This is what this is, what this is all about. The joy division. We owe it to the world. And we owe it to ourselves to be members of the joy division. Amen? Amen. In addition to joy, look at that in verse 5. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. In addition to joy, believers are to have great gentleness, which is also a fruit of the Spirit. Amen? Or, you know, it's been taught that the fruit of the Spirit is love and the rest of the list in Galatians 5.22 are merely descriptors of the agape. So part of having the agape of God, the love of God, is actually having a gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to all men. On one hand, you could say joy, in a, in a certain sense, is an inner quality that flows out. In relation to some circumstances, it may be something in, in some ways, even amongst ourselves, I can be by myself and have joy, amen? I, I can be in a terrible situation and, in, 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 and by myself I can be full of joy, amen? Gentleness is something that is, is evidenced in our reaction to other people. This is one where, you know... Anybody got your flip-flops? Put your, put your toes away, because this is going to step on every single toe in here. Amen. Gentleness. <laughs> We're called to be gentle. 
the way one reacts to others, whether in gentleness or harshness, will be noticed by others. And so that's why Paul says, let your gentleness be known. We should have, we should be gentle people. Guys, we need to be gentle. We need to be, we need to have a meekness. You know, there, meekness is not, um, you know, meekness and gentleness that kind of go hand in hand. Um, people see, see meek people and they think of someone that is kind of basically a doormat. Like, you know, oh, they're just, you know, just roll up. No, no, no. That's not the biblical definition of meekness. The biblical definition of meekness, you know, especially in where Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek for the meek will inherit the earth. The definition of, the, of meekness is power under control. It's that you know who you are, but, but who you are and everything that you ha- could have to say and bring to a situation is under control. And it's under the control of the Holy Spirit. And it's only going to come out through the agape and the joy and the gentleness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Wow. So let's wrap this up. we got a little bit to get through here in the next six minutes. Lastly, be in prayer. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. If we're going to stand fast in the Lord, then we must be continually in prayer. Prayer and supplication. Prayer is a lifestyle for the genuine believer. It has been said that prayer, a prayerless Christian is an oxymoron, right? Because prayer is merely a, our communication. It, in, in, in a way of saying it, prayer is our conversation, our relationship with the Lord. And, and that can happen in various ways. And, and, and Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, I'm sorry, the Thessalonians, he, he told them to pray without ceasing, right? In other words, pray continually. You know, you say, well, how can you pray without ceasing? I mean, I've got work to do, you know? <laughs> got to cook dinner, and I got to do all this stuff, right? It's the idea there is that you know, when the time arises for prayer, when there's something that comes up, there's, it's, it's, it's go, to the, go to the Lord in prayer. Because we're, we have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with the Lord. So we go to conversation with the Lord. He says, uh, he says, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. We are not to be anxious for anything. This is one where we just need to let this sink in. We need to hear from the Holy Spirit right now. This is a major step forward in growth, maturity as a believer and as a person. Be anxious for nothing. We're not to worry about anything. We're not to be anxious about anything. We're not to worry about anything. We're to trust in the Lord. We have the creator This God, who we can kind of partially describe, but is so far beyond what we could ever even think about in our finite minds, we have this God, we're in relationship with that God, and we put all of our faith and trust in him. And so be anxious for nothing, Christian. Be anxious for nothing, and do not worry. Do not worry about anything. We're to take our cares and concerns to the Lord in prayer and supplication. 
If we are living for God and realize that he is coming quickly, then we are to take our cares to the Lord in prayer. Everything. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus, Matthew 6, 25. This is the Lord. This is the Lord Jesus. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink, nor about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And of course he goes on. I don't have time to read all the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus says, don't worry about a thing. I think there's a song. Somebody wrote, don't you worry about a thing. Right? That was the Lord. No, it was some other band. It's been covered by a bunch of bands. Don't worry. Don't worry. In fact, when we see people worrying, when we see our brothers and sisters worrying, we need to encourage them. Don't worry. What are you worried about? God's got it, God's got it under control. God's got it under control. He has a plan. Submit it to him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication and in thanksgiving, bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Amen? We're to bring everything to the Lord in prayer. Take all the energy that you would use to worry about things. Take all the energy that you would use and expend on being anxious about stuff and pray. When you're fretting about something, pray. When you're worried, pray. That should be a bumper sticker. <laughs> I'm serious. That, that, if, if, if there's ever a bumper sticker, that should be a bumper sticker. When you're worried, pray. This is what we need to do. And we should always pray with thanksgiving. As Christians, we should come to God in prayer, thankful for the opportunity to even approach him. The God of the universe is hearing our prayer, and we should come to, to God with a spirit of thanksgiving, and we're thanking God. When we're thanking God for all that he's done for us, we will realize that God's there for us. If you're thanking God for all the, if you come to him in thanksgiving, well, what's that? Well, you're thanking him for all the stuff that you've done in life. Now, what were you worried about? That he didn't have under control? You see how prayer, prayer does this. Prayer changes our perspective on what's going on. Prayer takes you from a mere human perspective to a God perspective. Amen? Yes. And that's what we need. That's what we need. Now, I want to share something briefly as we close tonight that just happened with me in my business. Okay, so I'm being a little bit transparent here. I have, uh, in my business, I do a financing uh, for, I sell mattresses, and so I, I do a financing. And how it works is the person can come in and they can finance their mattress, and they can pay it over time. It's actually a 90 days, no interest, okay? So anyways, it, it, it works nicely if you pay it off in that 90 day, no interest period. I was having trouble getting paid from the finance company. In fact, I had nine deals that were not paid dating back into October. And I was just on the phone with them in the last couple days. And I got off the phone, this was two days ago, and I was just, honestly, I was in, the, it was in my room and I, had, I was talking to them, and I had everything. I'm looking at everything on, online and everything, and I'm, I'm, I'm going, this is crazy because this is a lot of money, and 
if this company goes bankrupt or whatever happens, I mean, man, that's, it's, we're, it's just a situation here. So Mary Jo comes up into the door. And as soon as I saw her, I just said, pray with me. Pray about this. Okay? So I got the call this morning. Charles, everything's going to be going through, going through. So I just share that with you as, a, as an example. I mean, this is current. This is like right now. This just happened. Okay, so I'm, just, I'm not making something up, pulling it out of a hat somewhere or whatever. This is living life with the Lord. This is, this, is, this is being anxious about nothing but taking everything to the Lord, supplication and prayer, because he's got it under control. You know, now I'm not saying and I'm not use, utilizing that as an illustration to say, well, pray and then within 48 hours everything's going to be fine. You know, sometimes it happens that way. And sometimes it's a process whereas we're continuing to trust in the Lord. But nonetheless, no matter how long the process, we're encouraged to continue to trust in the Lord. And so we need to do these things as we continue on in the face of everything that's happening in the world today.